0: There's a passage in the Gospel of St. Matthew, in which uh, the disciples asked Jesus if he might be the prophet Elijah, who was to come again. And the Lord gives them a very clear answer, I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased so also the Son of Man suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Well how did they understand that? That John the Baptist was Elijah? Well the prophecy of Malachi, one of the last prophets of the Old Testament we know from him that Elijah was to return. He writes, uh, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord when the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. And a little bit uh, at another place he says, Behold, I send my messenger to repair the way before the Lord and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the Lord of hosts and that's from Malachi so John's mission was interpreted in terms of that figure of Elijah he's not identified with elijah himself he is not strictly speaking elijah but he comes in the spirit and power of elijah that great prophet and indeed he does fulfill through his mission the expectation that elijah would return to purify the people of god and uh, put the people of god back on its feet ready them preparing the way for the arrival of the lord and they could see how you know, John the Baptist had disciples, but then he channeled them to Jesus. And uh, we also know from the appearance of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, when Zechariah was in the temple offering the sacrifice there, that uh, the angel said what his son, his future son to be born, would, what his mission would be he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So that that was directly from an angel, and no doubt those words had been repeated by Zachariah and by Elizabeth. And in part those were known. Mm -hmm. And now things all came into place. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's as though Gabriel was saying, Okay, that promise of Elijah coming back is now the time. Get ready. Mm -hmm. Now we know that Zachariah and Elizabeth were from a family of priestly stock. Mm -hmm. They were said to be righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in the commandments and the precepts of the Lord. So John now, who is born of them when they were quite old, he too is in that priestly line. And so in him, the priesthood of the old covenant now moves towards uh, Jesus. He kind of like points directly to Jesus eh, in the proclamation of his mission. So that means that in John, the old covenant priesthood now points directly to Jesus. So he, his purpose is to help provide or to create a favorable moment, a favorable time, a favorable environment in our soul so that we might truly receive the Lord. And so how can we prepare the way for the Lord in our soul during this time of Advent? How can it really happen for us? How can we maybe re, really re-energize our supernatural sense of the divinity of Christ, eh? of the divinity of the church, of the divine nature of our vocation. In some senses, that is what uh, John the Baptist is trying to do. He's trying to foment a better disposition with regards to those fundamental areas of our life. eh? Because otherwise, we get too human. We'd see our work in a way that is too you know, too horizontal, like too humanly. Yeah? Maybe it could even happen that during this time of Advent and then during the time of Christmas, we get too focused on just the human elements of Christmas, of just the preparation, like the you know the material preparation. I know you probably have a lot of work to do and, and stuff to prepare, and soon there'll be decorations in the house, and I know that takes extra time. And that's, well, I, I mean, it's a good preparation, but maybe it could happen that, you know, you have to go in the storage room where you keep the all those things, and, uh, you know, you just see it in terms of a human preparation. Mm-hmm. Indeed, we're in a time where a lot of people see everything like that from a very secular or human point of view, even Christmas itself. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a... There was a 16th century philosopher. He was like a jurist. His name was uh, Hugo Grotius. And he coined a famous phrase during his time when he saw a lot of philosophers now uh, changing their vision about the faith. A famous phrase, the Latin phrase, saying that they were living, as he said, et si Deus non darretur, which means... People were living as if Christ had never existed, as though the Incarnation had never really taken place. M- meaning what? Meaning he saw people with a, a worldview that's, that saw everything completely independent from God. It was like a new phenomena, I guess you could say. There was, they were moving from the period of uh, the Middle Ages where everything was seen through the prism of God's love and God's law, and now there was like a new secular worldview beginning it wasn't It wasn't that common yet, but it was starting to appear and this view meant that man was kind of autonomous and independent from this transcendent God. People would make their own laws and they didn't they sort of lived like that as though God did not exist as though Christ had never come or never existed. And, of course, something like that could happen with us, too, with regards to the Church. eh? That we may end up somehow taking for granted that the Church is nothing more than, well, certain scandals that we hear about, or certain controversies, uh, or we hear gossip in these news articles about the Pope and, uh, I don't know, this bishop or that that scandal. eh? And we may even think, well, the church and the and the different charitable movements in the church are all very let's say useful socially, they help the poor, and that's good, but deep down like we and we could end up just seeing everything just from a purely human point of view, hmm? like everything else in the course of human history, well, there's this there's that there's the there's the church right? there's the institutions there's i don't know the law, there's the church there's Mm-hmm. And even the work, we could end up seeing the work as kind of like a movement that appears in history and see it all really from a human point of view and what happened in Spain at that time just before the Civil War and, and then there were councils, there were theologians and other movements and we could end up seeing everything from quite a natural or I guess a very secular point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all, we see a lot of media, um, lots of very human uh, takes on, on life. Mm. And naturally, we can't expect journalists and the media to take into account how the church views itself. You know, media doesn't know how the church truly sees itself. Mm. But the worst thing could happen you know, if we were also to lose sight of the mystery that dwells within the church. And we could end up resigning ourselves to kind of like playing on somebody else's turf, always being on the defensive and losing a true supernatural sense of what the church really is, and indeed of our own vocation. You know how our father would speak sometimes about this superiority complex, that that we have to have a superiority complex, which does not mean we have to have pride or think that we're somehow superior to others mm-hmm. but what he meant by that is that we have to be deeply conscious of the fact that we are holders of a divine treasure mm-hmm. that's kind of like given to us in safekeeping imagine you're given a treasure not because you're rich or or, or super brilliant but you're just given a treasure for safekeeping mm-hmm. like saint paul when he says we carry this treasure in in fragile clay jars. We have a great treasure but it's in a fragile container and uh, imagine if all we did was to focus on the fragile clay jars and we forgot about the great treasure that is held within the church or for that matter within our vocation. And uh, Saint Paul he gives us a reason to assert that the that the of positive that exists, even in a situation like ours, he says that so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not, he says, come from us. So what we have in our vocation, what we have in in the work, in the church, does not really come from us. We do not merit it. Like... When Pope Benedict went to New York, he went to St. Patrick's Basilica there and he spoke to a vast crowd there. And he actually quoted from a famous 19th century novelist, American novelist by the name of Nathaniel Hawthorne. He wrote uh, The Scarlet Letter and a number of famous other books. And he used the image that Nathaniel Hawthorne uses about the church, the image of stained glass. Like when you're standing outside the church and you see the stained glass from outside, well, all you see is dark leading and dark glass, and it doesn't look that great seeing the church or the stained glass from the outside. But when you go inside the church, there you see the beautiful colored light streaming through that stained glass with all that array of colors and beauty. And uh, that's what happens when you really see the church from a supernatural perspective that is from the inside. And I would say that that is what St. John the Baptist is inviting us to do when he says, prepare the way for the Lord. To see our vocation, to see the church, to see the work from the inside as a supernatural reality where the love of God streams through the, the windows of our experience from within Like the way we live divine filiation. Divine filiation is not simply a phrase that we've heard, eh, but something that has to really somehow spark a deep joy in us. Remember how in the 1930s our father, he knew about divine filiation, he knew the teaching, but it didn't yet fully uh, affect him until he was on that day in the tramway, and, and suddenly he began to call out, you know, Abba, Father. He was deeply affected by that truth. Hmm? So we too, I mean, that, that wouldn't that be a good way to prepare the way for the Lord, that we experience the reality, for example, of our divine Filiation, Like St. Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children and the proof that you are children is that God sent into your hearts his son's spirit which cries out Abba, Father therefore you are no longer a slave but a child and if a child also an heir by God's grace so something deep happens into us when we consider the reality of our divine filiation, and um, it's a uh, it's a beautiful synthesis eh? that we have to live in our life that god sent his son god sent his son that's not simply an abstract uh, truth it's you know it's it's really a reality within the history of salvation that he came in the fullness of time. And now we're reliving that fullness of time with Advent. And we there's a mention here also, born of a woman, well that's the presence of Mar- Mary. And the upshot of that fullness of time, born of a woman, is that we are really men and women made in the likeness of God, children of God, temples of the Holy Spirit. That, like our Father did, really... Uh, had a deep effect on him you know, it's you could say from that moment on he saw that as an essential part of the spirit of the work the de- living out of divine divide for the issue because we are temples of the holy spirit even though we are we are like you know vessels of clay that is fragile but we still hold this great great treasure so let, let us ask john the baptist who's preparing the way so that we also live this great reality of divine affiliation during the time of Advent. You know, we had a we had a speaker yesterday. He's a radio host and a writer here in Canada who was brought up in Toronto. He writes for the National Post and for the Toronto Star. His name is Jamil Jivani. And he spoke about a book that he has written about manhood. And he spoke quite candidly about how his own father had abandoned the family and the deep wound that this had left in his heart eh, that he felt without his father, he always felt very weak and very vulnerable and he was therefore vulnerable to other influences. eh? He was really involved in very bad influences when he was a teenager. eh? He told us how at one point in order to sort of uh, fit in with this crowd, that he was uh, hanging around with he decided you know what he really needed to do is go and buy a gun You know, go buy a gun and uh, that would give him a kind of a standing with these other guys that many of them were involved in criminal activity and um, he arranged it he had some place where he, somebody was going to give him a gun and he was going to pay for it but in the last minute he chickened out he said no I'm not going to buy a gun forget it you know and so those guys, they really looked down upon him. You know, they say, "You're not one of us." You're and and that was an opportunity for him to cut off with those bad influences, and eventually to get into a much better environment with better people. Basically, because he decided to not buy that gun. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he thought, "Well, if, if I buy that gun, then I'll be friends with those cool guys." And uh, but he realized that those were not real men he was emulating people that were just a bad influence and so he reconnected with his father who's in another country and uh, and he had a beautiful reunion with him and, and, and this was an opportunity for him to heal a lot of wounds and um, and all that started when he just lacked this true role model of a father and he often felt very insecure because he didn't feel the closeness of, uh, of his own father. And we can feel insecure too when we don't feel the closeness of God, our Father. And we don't really live our divine filiation. And maybe that's, that's what Advent is really all about, is creating a favorable environment in our soul, in our norms, in our fraternity, in which we can really live that divine filiation to the core. And, um, of course... This image of God the Father is also what the church places at the very, very beginning of the creed, when we say the creed every Sunday. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. We don't just say, I believe in God. We believe in God, the Father Almighty. He's a father, but he's also Almighty. He's Almighty, but he's still a father. And that's what any child needs. That's what this guy the speaker really, really needed, he needed a father that was pr- a protector, which he felt always insecure because he felt that when his father was gone, he had to t- play that role. And he was only a young kid. He was like 12 years old, and he had to protect the family from dangers. And That's not, he was just a kid. He needed a place that was, uh, that he felt protected, and but his father had taken off, so he didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And every child needs that. A parent, a father who bends down to them Who is tender Whom they can play with But at the same time who is strong And who can be relied on And who can protect them Who instills in them a sense of courage And freedom Right? This is God our Father That that somehow we have to Prepare the place for in our soul Somehow So that he's not just a theory is not that we don't live our divine filiation as though God actually the father didn't actually exist but that somehow we ended up just using the nice phrase no this expression you know that that divine filiation is not simply a metaphorical analogical expression it's now time during this time of Advent To really make God the Father more real More true, more felt Just like Jesus When he addresses the Father Calling him Abba Abba And uh, he said No one knows the Father But the Son And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him No one knows the Father except the Son So we can't really know God the Father Unless we live In this dynamic in this environment uh, of divine filiation, mm. And so that's what Advent is really all about, creating that favorable environment of filiation mm. in our soul. And that way, when the Lord does come, Christmas will do so much more for our soul. Mm. I mean, we see the, the Christmas lights and the schmaltzy uh, music and the malls and the glitter and all that. Okay i guess that's some of this christmas spirit but we know that all these people are just doing this to you know get us to buy more stuff and um but we know it's really a time of penance a time of purification what is the penance the penance has a lot to do with this tendency we might have just to kind of go through the motions to live as though god didn't really exist eh? that that terrible phrase right uh Et si Deus non darretur. As though God didn't really, it's just a, like a like a theory thing, right? And that's what uh, John the Baptist did. He prepared his contemporaries by inviting them to uh, repentance. Eh? And uh, that meant that they would have to, as they crowded around him, around the Jordan, they would have to think about what they had to repent for, what sins they had committed there was like a like a special grace in the air for people to humbly recognize certain things about themselves. Maybe a husband there would have recognized that he was too harsh with his wife or something, or or a wife realized that she'd been not doing her her work or I don't know, complained too much or something like that. Hmm? Or a worker who had been listening to John the Baptist realized that he'd been too lazy in his work or charging too much or right? this these words of john the baptist led people to come to the truth about themselves i mean imagine if you and i were in that crowd along the jordan and there we see this strange man dressed in camel's hair and uh, you know looking quite rough and unshaven and uh, and if what would we do if we wanted to prepare our soul our mind our heart to dispose ourselves to better grasp what this really means for the Messiah to come into our soul, like 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 what would you do right now, you know if you're John the Baptist you see John the Baptist there, and you know you know what could we offer our Lord in the next few days in the few days of advent hmm? what is you know crooked that needs to be made straight you know he this is what was said about John the Baptist right that he would uh, as uh, Isaiah said, right, that um, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And yeah, that's from Isaiah. That's a, like a like a you know a prophecy of what John the Baptist uh, would do. You know what what needs to be made smooth in my life. And maybe we could think about the penance uh, we could live, eh? often often in ordinary things of daily life, uh, to really prepare the way for the Lord. And um, you know, we see that in the cities, they they have to fix the potholes and stuff. Uh, and uh, as soon as they fix the potholes, things, you know, traffic goes much smoother. Eh? and but to fix those potholes they have to get a whole crew of workers all dressed in these orange jackets and some of the guys are pouring the concrete others are guiding the traffic uh, another guy is going to buy the coffee <laughs> and uh, you know it takes a whole crew to fix uh, the potholes right and um, there're many things that we could do maybe you could buy the coffee maybe you can i don't know send in the report that the pothole has been fixed hmm? maybe it's for us more interior mortification or I would suggest just the joy and the peace that comes from truly saying those words, Abba, Father, like the expression you could say that our Lord used when addressing the God the Father but also the expression that our founder, St. experienced in that tramway. Somehow there I have to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Let's ask this of our Blessed Mother. Through her, the Son of God came into the world. She will help us really to prepare the way for the Lord. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.